Thank you for your presence with us in this electronic venue. I'm going to read Mark 1, 14 and 15. That begins our time together. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus lived a life exhibiting righteousness, helping people, training his disciples, then dying for us, raised from the dead, ascending to the right hand of the Father. Associated with his mission on earth, he was a preacher. Here in Mark chapter 1, reference is made to his work as a preacher after the arrest of John the Baptist. A lot of time could be developed to do a study of Jesus as a preacher, his loyalty to truth from God, his care and concern for people spiritually, his clarity, his exposure of sin, his wisdom, his tone, his passion. In this time period, I want to concentrate on what Jesus gave to people in his sermons. See, to deliver a sermon isn't just to fill up a time slot, say enough words to compose a typical speech or sermon, or just entertain an audience. Preaching a sermon can be viewed as giving to people what God wants people to have, to know, and to do. May I say again, preaching a sermon can be viewed as giving to people what God wants people to have, to know, and to do. There is a strong element of generosity that is a part of biblical preaching. Preachers can deliver to their listeners what God's grace provides, and God's grace is His perfect generosity. So good preaching is generous, giving to people what God wants people to have, to know, and to do. I want to give you what Jesus gave in this sermon. That is, I want us to understand that when we read the New Testament, when we let the teaching and preaching of Jesus Christ enter our minds and change us, we are recipients of the grace of God. When Jesus preached, what did he give? From select passages in the Sermon on the Mount, this study has been prepared. Number one, Jesus gave a pathway to a better life. Jesus gave a pathway to a better life. Now, when I say a pathway to a better life, there may be some who get all excited because of what their hearts are fixed on. Somebody might reply, great, I need a better house, a better car, better income, better health care, uh, more vacation time would be nice, and yes, a better internet connection. Well, that's not what Jesus promised. The pathway to a better life Jesus offered and offers now was not and is not about material things, and worldly attachments, and lust, and wish list. Listen to what he said. 
about the better life made available through him. I'm reading Matthew 5, 1 through 9. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the pathway to a better life. And it isn't about the car you drive, the house you occupy, or your level of popularity or status. Now, this is about who you are. The person inside, transformed by being a citizen of the kingdom, broken by your sin, mended by your response to Christ in repentance, coming to Christ to be forgiven, baptized into his kingdom, ready to develop and grow in these qualities. Meek, merciful, pure. Is there a life better than this? Blessed by God as these qualities become who you are. There were people in the time of Christ and many after he ascended back to heaven who lived underprivileged lives as judged by many of their contemporaries, especially economically, but they were citizens of the kingdom of Christ. So they were rich, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They were therefore filled. They were meek and merciful and pure in heart. Jesus, in his preaching and teaching and through the New Testament today, gives people a pathway to a better life. Not by force, he offers, he invites, he gives opportunity to walk this beatitude pathway. I've long heard it said that the beatitudes serve as sort of a preamble to the new covenant. I think so. Would you consider, while it is true, if you don't have these inner qualities, you will not be blessed it is also true, if you don't have these inner qualities, you will not be able to really apply everything else in the New Testament. This is an invitation into a better life, blessed by God, to think, speak, act, and react according to His will, to glorify Him. We are blessed and we are equipped to bring blessings to others when these kingdom principles live within us. Jesus generously offered this better life in his preaching. Number two, in his preaching, Jesus is a giver of hope. I'm going to continue reading in Matthew chapter 5, this time continuing at verse 10. Blessed 
are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus never said, follow me and everything in your life on earth will be smooth and privileged and no disturbance or pain at all. No. He offers substantial changes to our frame of mind, motivation, and confidence. But in being a follower of Christ, there are trials, hardships, trials and hardships that strengthen and discipline us. Paul said once, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Never think about that without knowing that all such pain is temporary. And what is ahead is great reward in heaven. Jesus, in his preaching, was generous about a better pathway, a better way to live. And Jesus was a preacher of hope generously. And we benefit from those promises as we become involved as his obedient followers. Third, in the preaching Jesus did, he gave responsibility. He assigned responsibility. I know at first it may not seem like responsibility is a gift, but it certainly is. To have something to do that has purpose and future and connects you to your Creator, what a precious gift that is. Well, in Jesus' preaching, in His sermons, He assigned, He gave people responsibility, and it was for their good, presently and eternally. Examples, Matthew 5, 13 to 16, Jesus gave responsibility when he said, let your light shine before others. We who are Christians have that task. We have a job to do, an assignment that has such a high purpose. Another example, Matthew 7, 24, Jesus preached building. We are builders. The wise builder, the wise building is the building of my life on the foundation of hearing and doing what he taught. I take that responsibility. Another example, Matthew 6, 15, forgive others their trespasses. Another responsibility, Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets. The pure and undefiled religion of Jesus Christ is not and has never been just set back and do nothing and showers of blessings will fall on you. Grace from God through Christ comes into our lives through the activity of faith as we take seriously every responsibility Jesus has assigned and as we accept those duties as citizens of his kingdom with joy. Thank God for responsibility. Embrace responsibility from God. And remember, great is your reward in heaven. Number four, Jesus preached priorities. I'm going to read from Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I am persuaded that everyone operates on a set of priorities. I mean, Christians, unbelievers, everyone operates on a set of priorities. They may not be written down. Perhaps they are not even identified verbally by the word priorities, but everybody has priorities because that simply means there are some things we consider more important than other things. Jesus generously offers for our urgent attention what is most important, and that is, Seek first the kingdom of God. It's this way. Income isn't that important. Social status, not that important. Fashion isn't that important. Groceries, entertainment, recreation, earthly comfort, not that important. What's most important? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He doesn't say ignore these other things I listed, give no attention to them, no. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Other words or phrases might help. Above all else, be faithful to God. Paul Earnhardt wrote, This is simply a summons for men to take the will of God as the supreme good. This is what preachers need to give their audiences, this valuable commitment to what is most important. It will relieve much anxiety. Jesus gave his hearers priorities in this appeal to put God first. If you have only one solitary life here and give that life to this one solitary purpose, that'll be better living eternally valuable. Sort everything else underneath this primary thing. God above everything else. And then in his preaching, Jesus gives depth. I want to talk to you about that for a few minutes. Jesus gives depth. I'm going to take us back to Matthew 5, and I'm going to read 17 through 20. He said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come 
to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to consider, please, the phrase, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And I want to say to you, and this is confirmed as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was superficial, external, ritualistic. They were satisfied if they looked holy. There were exceptions, but this was so typical, Jesus could speak of the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And here, he's actually speaking against the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And in his teaching and example, Jesus is giving his hearers an opportunity to have an active faith that has real depth, that is sincere. This leads into Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, there are examples. Jesus takes up three subjects in Matthew chapter 6. Benevolence, prayer, and fasting. He said there were hypocrites who did these things. Externally, they did these things. But not from a sincere heart of devotion to God rather just to be seen. Jesus is condemning disingenuous religion. And in everything he taught, he's offering to us opportunity to have depth and sincerity and value in the activity of our faith. He wants hearts, not robotic ritual. He wants hearts, not performance-aimed religion that is offered to get applause. So what I want us to see in this sermon is Jesus, in his preaching, gave people what God was offering that all people need. Jesus wasn't the kind of preacher who just simply filled a time slot. He wasn't involved in providing entertainment. It wasn't competing with others who were preachers and teachers of his time. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is reported in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Everything else before and after this section of Scripture helps us understand it. Jesus is saying, okay, folks, here's what it's all about, being a citizen of my kingdom. He was and is in this sermon giving his hearers a pathway to a better life hope, responsibility, the right priorities. When we apply all this in our lives, we have depth of faith and we press on from where we are to where we know we need to be. I want you to look now at how this famous sermon ended 
written in the last part of chapter 7. Here's what it says. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Keep listening to Jesus. Keep reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get into your daily Bible reading habit and stay there. Be a citizen of Christ's kingdom. It is a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Thank you for listening.